This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is brought to you by the Self-Care for Teachers School Staff Wellbeing and Resilience Sessions. I'm taking bookings now for the 2021 Student Free Days and Twilight Sessions for school sessions on cultivating a culture of wellbeing in your school staff. In-person presentations are available in Queensland only or the online training is available Australia-wide with tiered pricing options so that small schools and state schools can access the training equitably. Send your inquiries to hello at selfcareforteachers.com.au now. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritise your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds-Keen, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am excited to share with you this beautiful conversation that I had with Beth Cregan from Right Away With Me. So, Beth is a primary school teacher turned writing PD deliverer, but has a lot of um, skills and a really varied background, but um, she's a teacher at heart. So, in this episode, we talk about how teachers can use writing to support their well-being, both individually but also collectively in staff groups. And we have this great chat about the power of that and the power of creativity for teachers and curiosity and how it can really connect people, you know, within staff groups and, and create these really beautiful bonds. We also talk about how writing and journaling can be a self-care practice, but also how Self-care practices and, and well-being habits really come to the forefront when we are feeling depleted, you know, when, when our reserves are depleted, but also the ways we need to be extra gentle on ourselves when we are in that place and starting up new well-being and self-care practices in those challenging times. And we have a beautiful conversation about poetry too. And Beth shares a couple of snippets of some poems and there's a bunch of links in the show notes for you to go and dive deep into that as well. Beth also shares some great tips for teachers, one of which is called the Book of Wonderings, uh, which is really about how impactful it can be to ask ourselves and ponder on, you know, questions and big questions, small questions, any questions that really occur to us. And so, if you haven't yet listened to last week's episode about self-coaching questions for teachers, I really recommend that after you've listened to this one with Beth, go back and listen to that one because it will be a good follow-up. And equally, this episode's a good follow-up if you have listened to last week's episode. And just remember that you can also get the accompanying workbook to that episode, the accompanying self-coaching workbook in the freebies library at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash library. So that's free. And I do recommend doing that soon um, because when you sign up for the freebies library, you also get access to then receive the advocate, which is the self-care for teachers newsletter. And I'll have some exciting things coming up in the next few months and early in 2021. And I'll be announcing them first to readers of The Advocate. And they'll also get some special early bird options too. So, uh, make sure that you go and sign up for that. Like I said, it's free. And let me know your thoughts on this episode. I'd love to hear from you. So, you can always email me, hello at selfcareforteachers.com.au or connect with me over on Instagram. I'm trying to hang out there a little bit more. I'm finding that a little bit more of a nice place than Facebook at the moment. 
I am still on Facebook, but I just am limiting my use a little bit because it, uh, yeah, because I am, because it's, I find it better when I do. So hit me up in the DMs at Selfcare for Teachers on Instagram if you would like to. So now this episode with Beth, we recorded it in late 2019. So there's a point where she says, last week I went to rural Victoria. It was not last week uh, as when this episode airs. I just thought I should point that out because obviously Victoria and Melbourne have had all sorts of restrictions and a really, really extra tough time with the pandemic compared to many other parts of Australia. And again, as with Beck's episode a couple of weeks back, there will be no mention of the pandemic because this episode was recorded before it had happened. Uh, So I hope that you can enjoy it, therefore, as a little bit of an escape from that. And also, Beth tells me that some of her courses have and programs have moved online since the pandemic. So the writing program for students is already online and she'll have some others coming up very soon. So you'll want to check that out. The best place to connect with her these days is also on Instagram at writeawaywithme. So I'll pop the link in the description. And yeah, I'd actually love to hear from you as well. If you are also finding Facebook to be a little bit less of the place that you hang out now, whether Instagram is just feeling like a more positive place for you. I don't know if that's just because of the people I'm following. I don't know. The teachergram is definitely a thing. It's not really something that I engaged with when I was still in the classroom, which is a few years ago now. But yeah, I'm, I'm just finding it a, a space that feels more fulfilling for me at the moment and less distressing. I often find Facebook a little bit distressing these days, but that's possibly due to the things people share, the nature of the beast, I guess. Anyway, one more quick reminder about the Wellbeing Champions Meetup that is happening in a few weeks' time. So it's on the 18th and the 21st of November, two different time slots. These meetups are for anyone who feels like they are the well-being person at school or you know who cares a lot about staff well-being at work. And so if you're listening to this podcast, I think that's probably you or you probably wouldn't be listening to the podcast. So you are invited to this virtual networking event to connect with other teachers like you from around Australia who care about personal well-being and staff well-being and student well-being. We are going to focus mainly on staff well-being in this meetup, but I think generally we care about all three. You can go to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash wellbeing champion for more information. And if you are listening to this after November 2020, go to that link anyway, because there will be more events like this in 2021. And so the details will be there. That link won't change. And I think that's it from me. Enjoy this lovely conversation with Beth from Right Away With Me. Well, hello, Beth. Thanks so much for being on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I'm excited about it. I'm excited that you're here. So we always start by finding out a bit about the guests. So tell us a bit about your uh, teaching background and then we'll dive into what you're doing these days. Okay. Well, I started as a kinder teacher. That was my original training. And then I stepped straight into primary. So most of my teaching experience was in primary schools across all age levels And then I spent about three years setting up a pilot program, a kindergarten within a primary school. And because that ran as its separate entity, it gave me a lot of business skills. And from there, I started to think that I would like to do something for myself. So it was actually that role, probably my last three years of full-time teaching, that Uh, made me think I would like to sort of get out and and try something different. 
But during that time when I was home with my kids, I studied professional writing and started to teach writing for gifted kids. And I had, so I had that background as well. So that I splendid those two together to form my business, which was right away with me. So from there, I started to go into schools and teach writing workshops. And then over the years, started to run PDs and work with parents as well. Mm, so you've got a really interesting sort of mix of skills and backgrounds, but that teaching background first and foremost has obviously stood you in really good stead. And so I know that you do uh, PD around and work with schools and teachers around writing for gifted kids and with the curriculum side of things, but obviously this is the teacher wellbeing podcast and we try to avoid too much curriculum, too much actual shop talk. (laughs) Um, So I know that writing is such a powerful tool for us in our wellbeing toolkits. Can you tell us and the listeners a little bit about how teachers can actually use writing to support their well-being? Yes, I'd love to. Um, I think originally when I started to do PDs, it was curriculum-based and I found it really hard to come in and do that with teachers at often at 3.30 when they were totally exhausted and spent and then trying to sort of revive them. And after having that experience, I thought something really has to change. But mostly, I wanted teachers to meet writing and enjoy it. So I started to offer schools, rather than a totally curriculum-based PD, a writing workshop that was just for teachers and to spark their creativity. And with the idea that anything you did in that workshop, you could take back to your classroom. But my focus was going to be on igniting the creativity of the teachers. And I loved it. And straight away, my feeling about running the PDs changed because I really looked forward to it. And I noticed the difference in the staff, often at the end. So staff come in and we and do some personal writing, um, some journals, journaling. They leave with a couple of poems that they have written with structures that I provide. And we look at developing a little story and a character. So they leave with all these little seeds that they can use or not. But I find that I, I used to run PDs where teachers would look at the clock and be desperate to get out at the end. And now I find I finish the PD and the teachers all sit around talking to each other and wanting to share their writing. So it really changed my mind about what I could offer teachers in terms of creativity and how that could impact energy levels. So, yeah, that was my sort of first a taste of looking at writing as a form of self-care or igniting creativity as a form of self-care. But I'm really keen also to talk about journaling practices and other practices that I use that I know have a really powerful impact on my teaching and also on my life. Yeah. Oh, I just think that that's so interesting that 
when there was that shift in you, but also in in moving from that purely curriculum-based professional development thing. And, and we, you know, we've all been there 3.30 in the afternoon after a long day at school and we've got to think about all the things that we still have to do for tomorrow and we have to go down to the office or down to the staff room, wherever it is, to do this PD. And you do watch the clock because you are just exhausted and there's the, the running to-do list in your head. And I, I just find that so interesting that when there was a shift from this work is for the the curriculum, this work is for whatever's going on in your classroom to suddenly being, yeah, this can apply there and it absolutely does, but this is really for you. This is time and space for you to reconnect with you and cultivate your own creativity that you felt a shift, but also you saw a shift in the experience of teachers. That's so powerful. It is. And the feedback that I've had from uh, um, leadership teams when I go back in and speak to them is that that style of workshop that first works with the teachers really filters down to the kids in a very powerful way because if you've had the experience of coming in and writing and you've found that you can and do something that you perhaps didn't know you could do or it's a skill that you do well but you, you don't take much time to enjoy it, then you leave with something to offer your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't give what you don't have. Exactly. And so also I think if if teachers have been to a lot of PDs that are very, and a lot of them are, and sometimes for good reason, but, you know, very task-focused, very this is the skill, drill it in really kind of old school kind of ways, then that's that's the way we go back and teach it in the classroom as well. So it's really wonderful to, to show teachers this other way and then they can actually, because they've experienced that, they can create that experience for the students in their classrooms as well. Yeah, and one thing I know about writing in groups because I've been doing this now for 10 years, so I know for certain that there is an energy that occurs when you share your writing. And part of that workshop is to work in very small bursts, but to spend a lot of time sharing. And at first that, well, that can be, I find that intimidating. So, um, and I've had lots of practice at that. So it can be intimidating, but it's incredible to watch a group of people start to share some of their ideas in that way and you see creativity in terms of elaborating on ideas and collaborating on ideas and the energy completely changes and I love that it's the best thing about teaching writing ah that and this wasn't a question this is going to come out of left field probably because it's not one that we kind of ran through before one of the topics we were going to touch on but I imagine that actually has a powerful impact also on that that staff group, the way they go on and interact with each other in the future because we know what we know about organisational well-being and about staff well-being and schools and morale and, and all those other factors. We know that psychological safety with each other, within, a, within the group, within the staff room is absolutely crucial. If we don't have psychological safety with each other, then it's going to be very, very difficult to raise morale. It's going to be very, very difficult to get the best out of people. It's going to be very, very difficult to actually implement well-being practices as a group, let alone have people feel that they can actually say, oh, I'm struggling a bit here. And so I really just love the idea of this group writing professional development as actually a way to cultivate some psychological safety within 
staff groups. So, you know, school leaders, principals, if you're listening and that's something that you're wanting to, <laughs> wanting to build in your staff, then connect with Beth. This sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, I feel like it has a real impact. You can see and you can feel it because you come into the room and often I'm, I'm known to that staff because I may have worked there before. But if it's a new staff, you can feel that there's that sense of will we be safe here? And I usually bring my journal. So if there's um, nobody offering something to read up front, I will read from my journal. And that starts the ball rolling. I think once they hear some of my sharings and they realize that my writing isn't perfect, that when I'm sharing, it's just in draft form and it won't be absolutely perfectly edited. It'll but it will have an emotional connection to them. And that's what's important about writing. That is what writing gives us, that emotional. I always say that writing connects our hands and our heads and our hearts. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's what it gives us. I love that. And I think it's so important that that we do sometimes need an example of somebody being a little bit vulnerable before we feel safe to do it ourselves. Is there anything else that you do at the start of those sessions to kind of set up that psychological safety for people? I usually share um, a poem of some sort because, um, and maybe we can touch on this later, but I think poetry is a really condensed and powerful way to share and express feelings. So at the end of the day, I think it's great for um, teachers to just have a minute to listen to a poem. And I have a book, I think it's called teaching with fire and it's a book of poems chosen by teachers with a little backstory as to why they loved that poem so I often choose um, poems from that book so a poem I think gives everybody just a chance to breathe out and to connect with that sense of feeling because during the day you often don't have that opportunity to sort of connect with your intuition and to be working on that purely sort of emotional level. So a poems are great. I think every staff meeting should start with a poem. That's a lovely idea. <laughs> uh, and I just think it would be great to start. I know everybody's sort of desperate to get out of their staff meetings, but I feel like if we started with something that actually connected us back to ourselves then we come into that space with a with an openness that we wouldn't have had before oh that's beautiful is there anything i mean we're talking about poems now and we are going to get to journaling in a minute but is there anything else that you wanted to share about poetry as a practice that people can use to support their well-being yes i'd love to because i've had times in my life when I've probably spent less time thinking and, and reading poetry. This year I was lucky enough in um, June to spend a week in Ireland with one of my favourite poets, David White, and we worked with poetry in the morning and philosophy and then we walked in the afternoon. And I came to that week really tired and I came with my partner who has no writing background at all and I was surprised that he wanted to come 
And at the end of the week, we didn't do any um, poetry lessons per se. Mostly we shared David's poetry and talked about our feelings and our thoughts about some of those concepts that he was sharing. And at the end of that week, Patrick was writing poetry, which showed me how um, powerful immersion is and that if you have somebody who uh, is passionate about language and you spend time in their company, some of that rubs off on you. I've never seen that, like, at the end of that week, I've been with Patrick for 30 years and he is uh, an emotional guy, but I've never seen him write poetry in 30 years. That really opened my eyes. So from that time, I, when I came home, I decided that every week I would choose a poem and I would use that poem as my anchor for the week. So I would just refer back to it. Sometimes I keep it, I write it and keep it close to me if I want to sort of remember lines I might keep a little bit in my pocket other times it just stays in my journal but I use it just to sort of to ground what happens during that week and in so from June till now I have a collection of beautiful poems that I've used during the week some of which have totally impacted how I live my life, really. One from Mary Oliver, whom I was introduced to in this week, but um, she starts her poem, the poem starts with, um, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And I just carried that with me for a long time because I think as teachers, most of us were the kids in the class who probably were the good kids, who probably did believe that we had to be good, who are probably doing all the things that we think make us good. And more often than not, we are crawling through the desert on our knees. Absolutely. So I just thought um, that idea of just the soft animal of your body, your intuition, let your intuition love what it loves, made such a difference to me. I often find myself when I'm working with teachers, when I'm working with kids, thinking in my head, you do not have to be good. You just have to work with your intuition here. Oh, that is just beautiful. Mm. Oh, Mary Oliver is, I can thoroughly, I'll give you some reference books. Yes. That's from a poem called Wild Geese. And um, it's probably one of my favourite poems of hers but there are many from David White as well who I just use his poems to actually write goals, to reflect on quarters. At the end of a quarter, I might choose a poem that I can use to sort of ground that reflection. So poetry has become a very big part of my life in the last six months. And it's been, uh, I think we were talking earlier, but I have been um, sick in this last six months and had some additional stress. So I now have can say from that place of depletion that poetry has made a big difference 
to how I view the world. Mm. And I think that that's such an important point that the practices that we talk about when it comes to well-being and self-care, whatever those practices are that you do when times are good, and I think that's part of the reason why sometimes, I mean, for one, my sister and I have a bit of a joke about hashtag skincare for teachers and, and things like that because people do seem to conflate skincare and self-care online, you know, the kind of Instagram pages that are just about doing face masks. And that's nice. I'm not saying that's not nice, but that's not, you know, it's literally only skin deep. But I also think that sometimes these practices get lost or a bit undervalued because when times are good, all they're doing is making us feel nicer. But actually it's when as you say, when you are in a, a period or a time of life where things are really tough, there's maybe illness happening, there's other stresses going on, when you are feeling depleted, that's when they really come to be so valuable and so important. Are you a principal or deputy principal looking for an engaging and affordable session on teacher and school staff wellbeing for your next student free day or twilight session? Perhaps you're on the wellbeing committee or you are the wellbeing champion in your school and you're looking for resources to support your proposal to your leadership team for the staff wellbeing session that you have been tasked with organising. And perhaps you're in a regional, rural or remote school and the option of having an in-person consultant travel to you to deliver a session with your staff is just cost prohibitive, not to mention a little bit risky at the moment with the possibility of lockdowns and border closures cancelling it all last minute. Well, I have a solution for you. I have put together an online training designed for your staff to do together on a pupil-free day or in a twilight session or even in an after-school staff meeting. In-person presentations are available in Queensland. However, the online training is available Australia-wide with a tiered pricing model so that small schools and state schools can access the training equitably. I can't wait to bring this training to your staff so together we can transform the well-being of Australia's teachers and school staff one school at a time. I'm taking bookings now for the 2021 January Student Free Days so get in touch via hello at selfcareforteachers.com.au today. I remember my meditation teacher saying this and it's always stuck with me that when you are depleted that's a difficult time to start a practice absolutely so it's the keeping that going throughout the time that when you find you need it you have that practice solid and you have the muscle memory sort of thing like you you actually have the so i have a a meditation practice and it's something that's been sort of on and off with me over the last 10 years. And I know that every time I have a period where I don't meditate for a couple of months, or, you know, maybe it's just the, the couple of minutes at the end of yoga, but it's not, a, it's not a kind of focused practice. I know that every time I come back to it, it feels like when I haven't been exercising for a few months and it's, it's hard because those muscles are, are weak and it's actually, it's like a fitness that we have to build up. And once it's going, once we have that, that sort of fitness in terms of those practices, it's much easier to maintain. But you're so right. I love that, that it's hard to start these practices when you're feeling depleted. And it reminds me, I think there's a Dalai Lama quote where he says, if you don't have time to meditate for 20 minutes a day, you should meditate for an hour a day. I love that quote too. I love that. But I think we often, because when I think about that idea that it's hard to start when the chips are down, I think, well, I better not start then because the chips are down. But I think that we often make 
these practices really complicated. And we forget that you don't actually need a tremendous amount of time to actually start something. So that poetry practice, I have books of poems. So it is as simple as choosing one of those poems, bookmarking it, and reading it to myself on Monday morning. So we're talking about probably five to eight minutes. Now, I may spend time during the week, I may come back to that, but that's the bottom line of that practice. Mm. And I think you're so right that we do, we do have that thought, well, the chips are down, so I won't start. But actually what we could be reframing for ourselves is number one, well, the chips are down, so I'll be really kind to myself as I start because I know that this is going to be harder than it ordinarily would, so I'm going to heap on the self-compassion. But also the other line that I love is stick to the schedule, reduce the scope. So it's, it's actually the opposite of that Dalai Lama thing. What I actually do for myself is if I'm feeling really worn out and or I feel very, very time pressured for my meditation practice, for example, I actually give myself permission to just do two minutes. It doesn't have to be 10 minutes, 20 minutes longer. It, it, I actually say to myself, I'm just going to do two minutes. And then usually once I'm there, I end up doing a bit longer, but I still, it still may only be a few minutes and that's, that's it. Then I stop because I actually feel like I don't have the kind of the cognitive energy to, to do the meditation, which is supposed to refill your cognitive energy. And it does, but it requires a little bit to do it or I'm time pressured. So rather than say, well, I won't do it at all. I don't have time. I actually just give myself permission to do a much reduced amount and that's okay. You know, it's that the chips are down or things are hard. I'm not going to not do it at all, but I'm just going to do it imperfectly. I'm going to do the, the kind of minimum viable option. <laughs> well, I had that. I had this experience um, last week because the other thing, we came back from Ireland with a real desire to be in nature. And in terms of creativity, I've now started to really research the impact of nature and hiking on creativity because we don't put anything in our ears when we're walking so we're really just walking now having been sick I've not been able to do that hiking and I was so missing it and last week we just drove to a beautiful space in the mountains in Hillsville in Victoria and went to a picnic ground that is in the middle of um a national forest, sat in the picnic ground, and then I walked for about a kilometre. So we were doing probably 10 to 15 k's on a regular hike before that, but I got the benefit from actually sitting in that picnic ground, surrounded by nature, and then walking for a kilometre. Yeah, I think the Japanese call that forest bathing. Yes, and it, 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 I, I just, it's one of those things I'm really um, curious about because it has made such a difference to my well-being but also to my teaching because I find when I'm walking, I'm thinking about students, I'm thinking about things that have happened and you walk through to your solutions. Yeah, and, and the, the reflection time is there, but there's also, I think there can be a sense that we are walking towards, there's movement, there's progress. It's not just sitting ruminating, which sometimes you end up sort of spiraling, spiraling down the kind of emotional ladder and feeling worse again. Whereas I think when you're moving, it actually helps keep that reflection process 
keeps it moving forward rather than getting stuck. Stuck. I think so. And I also think that when you are in that sort of cycle of despair, often you're talking about it with people and that can keep that going. Whereas we have a, a little sort of um, pact with ourselves that once we start walking, we have sometimes up to an hour of silence. And we just walk. Usually I hang back a bit because I love the idea of walking by myself, but I don't always feel safe enough to do it. So I like knowing that there's someone up ahead on the track, but I, I also just love not speaking. Yeah. We don't give ourselves much. We don't get a lot of silence these days, and we certainly don't give ourselves that as a practice either. No. And I think that's... I think that's one of the, um, I'm not a great, I aspire to um, have a meditation practice. I don't think I'm fabulous at it, but I think most people aren't <laughs> from my experience. It's, look, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is hard. And if you have a busy mind, which all of us do, it's hard. And I think te teachers by their very nature do have busy minds. Mm. I also think there's a bit of a misnomer, like people think you have to s s turn that off and that's not actually the purpose. Like this, the idea of having a silent, having silence in your mind is not actually the point of meditation. It's actually more about being detached from the thoughts, but they come and go and you just let them come and go. Well, and I also feel that that is something that you get when you, I find that much easier to do when I'm walking. I find the thoughts sort of hang around next to me, but they don't necessarily feel like they're totally part of my head. Mm. Well, walking meditation is an absolutely legitimate thing. Um, so maybe that's actually just what you're doing because all of us have different, so there's a huge number of different meditation styles and all of us have different ones that are easier or that resonate for us. Personally, I'm not very into, I don't, I'm not very good at, quote unquote, um, but I also just don't really enjoy that much the kind of guided visualization meditation. Some people love that. I'm much more uh, personally just much more in the sort of Zen tradition where I'll just actually just count the breath. And so what works for one of us doesn't work for the, for the next person in the staff room. And I, and I really love that we can, act, once we embrace that, we can actually differentiate this for ourselves working on, well, what works for me is different to that next person and that's okay. So I'm going to do what works for me. I'm going to, what was that line from the poem? I'm going to let my soft animal within do what it, what it wants to do. <laughs> yeah. Let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Yes. That's just beautiful. So I just want to shift gears a little bit and I know we are going to come back to the practices in a minute because I know we, we definitely have to touch on journaling because it's so powerful. I know, Beth, that you and I have spoken about curiosity and the power of curiosity, the importance of curiosity for, for creativity, but also for well-being. And what happens to teachers' curiosity often as, as their career progresses and or as life presents challenges to them? Mm. Well, one of the um, practices that I would love to share, I do this with um, most students that I teach and I have started to do it in the teacher's workshop as well, as well, is to encourage anyone to keep a book of wonderings. Now, a book of wonderings sounds sort of esoteric, but really what we're talking about is a little pocket-sized spiral book that you get in Woolies, like a notebook, 
I like something small because I like to be able to keep it in my bag or in my pocket. But one of the best ways to ignite curiosity is to ask questions. And we have a lot of those questions that swim inside our heads and we don't have a space to collect them. And some of the questions drill down and really circle and are hard to get rid of. And I find that when I have that, my book of wonderings and I'm keeping it active, I'm putting in there all sorts of questions. Some of the questions might end up being research projects like the walking meditation. When I first started doing it, I was just hiking because it was going to be make us fit and it was fun. And then I started to jot down questions or just things that I noticed and questions related to that. Sometimes I just write questions about students, things that I've noticed that I want to think about further. And Often I don't actively go back and write and journal. Sometimes I do. I might take a question and use it as a prompt. But often it's just the asking of the question. And I think the questions that you ask really identify what's going on in your life, really, the questions that you have. And just that practice of keeping that little book of ideas, wonderings, questions is enough to get you, like before I even started thinking I might like to research walking meditation, I would be at a traffic light and I would be thinking about some of those questions. So it's a way of igniting curiosity and questions. It's what we best recognize with toddlers is that there are a lot of questions. There's a lot of, you know, curiosity and ideas that they want to follow up on. And somewhere along the line, we think we don't have time for that. And it's the questions that start most of the projects that I start to do in my spare time come from that book of wonderings. So it's a really simple and quick practice. Mm. And also, I think so powerful. I, I think it's not only that we feel that we don't have time for this, but we actually almost, I think, can can have a bit of a belief that it's childish, that especially as teachers, we, it is our job to kind of know the answers. And a lot of us are not very good. It's very uncomfortable when we don't know the answers. And we we you know, just the human behavior of it is that we we run away from uncertainty because it's uncomfortable. And so we actually don't give ourselves the time and space or the permission to actually sit with questions where there is no answer or perhaps the answer needs a bit of work. It's going to take some time to get to. It's not immediately obvious. And so I think there's an aspect of it too that as teachers who are so used to being right, having the answers, being assessed, whether we're competent or not, is it an A standard, B standard, C standard, you know, that's that's the kind of zone that our heads are in so much of the time that if there's a question that we don't know the answer to or just something that we're curious about we're actually not allowing that to come forward because it's kind of the opposite of the the style of thinking that we often have to do in our in our day-to-day work and uncertainty is uncomfortable <laughs> it is and i think that's why if you pair that 
questions or your book of wonderings with some time in silence. And that could just be gardening without having anything in your ears and not listening to podcasts or just giving yourself some time where there's not information coming in. Those sorts of things that you're curious about have a little airspace. And unless you, I find for myself, unless I write them down and there's a place to collect them, they disappear, but the impact of them doesn't always go away. The words disappear, but you're left with this sort of sense of um, something unfinished. Whereas I love having that, I, I also love going back and looking at some of the questions because you'll find that life will answer them for you. Yes. Oh, that's true. And the other thing I know you and I have talked about from that aspect of cultivating curiosity is that often when teachers are feeling burnt out, they don't realise that they've actually lost that sense of curiosity. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like that just sometimes that you probably, I know when I've done this in workshops that sometimes teachers struggle to start. Usually I give out little books of wondering so that they have that to take with them. And sometimes they struggle to put in there what it is that they're thinking about or what they're interested in because so much of their time and energy is directed to actually igniting the creativity of other people. Yeah, well, and we also talk about the fact, you know, it's a, it's a pretty common complaint about the modern education system, this industrialised model that we have, which is that it squashes the creativity in our students. Well, who's more embedded in this than the students, the teachers? So it stands to reason that it's also squashing some of the creativity and curiosity of our teachers as well. Oh, I, absolutely. I feel in the last, I know when I first started teaching, you know, there were always curriculum pressures. I, I remember that from when I was a new teacher. But you know, you would get a beautiful day and there would be this great sort of impetus to move some tables out under the oak trees and spend some time maybe looking at something different for a couple of hours. That sort of um, where you could follow your passion a little bit, that seems to me to be something that rarely happens because we don't have time for that. And a teacher told me a story um, in one of my Victorian schools, but another state, that she was doing something like that with her preps. They were painting and, and doing something outside. And someone questioned her about what part of the curriculum that related to. Yeah. And so it's not only that we don't have time for it, but we, we don't have permission. We don't feel we have permission or we, we literally don't have permission to be engaging that way in our classrooms and then we take that back into our the rest of our life as well and we don't engage that way in our life either. I know. Well, let's talk about journaling because I know the science behind this. It is so powerful and, and you know, you said you don't have a, a much of a meditation practice and, and journaling is the one where I feel like, oh, I know how good that is but I, I, that's not one that I do as regularly as I wish I did but perhaps after this conversation I'll make it more of a priority. So tell us about journaling as one of these really wonderful practices, Beth. Well, I started journaling when I was a teenager, so I still have 
journals from when I was like 14 and 15 years old. But I think it was when I had my gap year. So it would have been 23, 24. And I wrote every day. So I traveled by myself. And that writing practice just became part of that time away. So when I came back, I never stopped that. I, like you, I've probably gone through times where it may not have had a set routine, but now probably for at least the last 10 years, but I would say more than 10 years, I've had a very set routine. So I started originally um, using Jane Cameron's The Artist's Way and doing morning pages, which true morning pages are three pages of A4 loose leaf just quickly written as your standard practice for the morning. And you can write anything on those pages. Now, I think people are afraid to do that in a way because they imagine that all of their unhappiness will come out on those pages and then that's difficult to to live with. But I have found quite the opposite because there's only so long that you can whinge about something before, to yourself anyway, before you think I might make a change here. So I feel like every time I've made a momentous change in my life, I've seen that play out in my morning pages first. But now I tend to I tend to have a less sort of structured, do my three pages and move on. Now I, um, I like writing. At the moment, I'm into writing letters. So often, and I think this is a really nice approach if you feel maybe new to journaling or you feel dry and you're not sure where the words will come from, is to just sometimes I write the letter to myself And I'll just start with Dear Beth and I might write what I would like to hear, what I would like to hear someone say to me, or I might write my quest some questions that I have, or sometimes I imagine my or some energy that is way more wise than I'll ever be responding to me, and I write in the voice of that character back to myself and that can be really comforting to write what you would love to hear either someone say or what you would most like to say to yourself and other times I write to feelings so I might write to dear procrastination and try and get some clarity about what that might be about or dear anger and I had a very interesting experience not that long ago because part of being unwell has had, I've had Lyme's disease from a tick bite. So there is joint pain associated with that. And some of it was quite serious. And before I knew what it was, I was in a lot of pain. And one morning I woke up and wrote, pulled out my journal and wrote, Dear Legs. And by legs, I mean the whole lot, the ankles, the knees, you know, listen up, let's have a conversation about this. And I have to tell you that the pain for a period of time went. And I was 
astounded. I came to my book club and told them that story and they thought it was hilarious. But I was really, I've been journaling for a long time and I know the power of it, but I was a little bit blown away by that. Mm, It's so interesting. I really appreciate you sharing that story and how I just love the idea of writing to ourselves, to a wiser, you know, I've heard Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love and many other, you know, Big Magic, many other wonderful books. I've heard her talk about that she writes to love every morning and but I love the idea of writing to anger or to procrastination or to your pain. And it's interesting that you share that story because I, have, I often have moments in meditation where I converse with my body. I mean, because obviously different, but I also have some physical health challenges and, you know, chronic conditions that flare up from time to time. And, um, and I have found that on the times when I do this practice in meditation before bed where I kind of ask my body to heal certain things or to, you know, can we sleep really well tonight or whatever it is. I have this kind of conversation with my physical body as me separate to my body, even though, of course, you know, we are an integrated whole, but something changes. There is a change. And I know I I really love hearing that from you and that, that you're, it's almost, it's like your conduit to that is the writing. And what a powerful, powerful thing, especially when so much of our time these days is actually spent with keyboards and screens and actually getting back to that pen and paper, that psychoneuromuscular activity, which is we know it's different for students reading on paper than it is on reading on a screen. We know there's a difference there. The science tells us that. And I think there is definitely a difference to handwriting things compared to just typing it. Absolutely. And I would say if you're starting off, my sense about this would be don't go and buy yourself a beautiful journal because we want to write nice things in a beautiful journal. So I usually, I know um, Jane Cameron says you just buy like an A4 exercise book, something really, you know, utilitarian, but nothing that's going to be too decorative. I tend to use the same sorts of journals. I like to have, I don't like the paper to bleed through. So I look for journals that have sort of the weighty paper and I use the exact sort of same pen the the whole time. I don't, I like a pen that works quickly. I think something that has a real flow to it so that you're not limited by your materials. But I would say don't go for something fancy because you will want nice writing and you will want your content to be something that you'd like to read back. And the thing is you don't need to read back any of it. You can if you want, but you don't need to. And my family know, I've said to them on numerous occasions, that they don't need to read that. So if these books are found, they don't need, don't feel the need to ever go back and read back through any of that because it will have the best and the worst of me and it really doesn't belong to anyone else. And I think sometimes the idea that you put it on paper and it might be found by somebody can be threatening. Yeah, well, it's that psychological safety again, isn't it? And and I so agree with you about having a, a perfect, pretty, beautiful journal. And then that just makes us have all these 
all that sense that we have to be good, right? It has to be perfect. It has to be excellent. It can't just be this rough draft stream of consciousness processing of emotion that, that is actually the practical, useful part of it. But it is that psychological safety that if we're going to write something down, somebody else might read it and therefore, or we might read it, you know, we've all had, I'm sure, the experience of reading back over something that we wrote earlier, whether it's, you know, a school assignment from when we were in high school or something or, or, or some kind of journaling and we just cringe because we think, oh my God. But actually the whole point is to take all of that off the table. You never have to read this again. Nobody else has to read this again. You can destroy it as soon as you've created it if you want to, but to give yourself that psychological safety to be able to just engage fully in the process because that's where the value is. Yeah, I, I believe that to be true. Sometimes I do throw things away at the end of it. Sometimes I might keep it if it was a particular time in my life that I'd like to remember something from. But I hardly, the truth is that I hardly go back and read them. I do have an archive box of them. Perhaps for me, there's a certain safety in knowing that my words are in that box, but I don't feel the need necessarily to revisit them. So I feel like if you're starting out, maybe I usually put my journal away. So it's not something I'd leave out for other people to read anyway. It's in a sort of a private space. And I think that's important to create that. And recently, one of my girlfriends who never journaled before and often said to me that she wanted to start, I suggested just starting with a haiku. And a haiku is a really short Japanese poem. So it's five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. And to just capture a little idea or an image and just do the haiku and just make that enough. So she started doing haikus and then, of course, she'd just do one and then pack it away. And um, bit by bit she was doing two or three and now she gets up most mornings and does her um, journaling. So I feel like we, we overcomplicate everything. So keep it super, super simple. If a paragraph is enough or a little structure of a haiku is something that you'd like to try, that's enough. That can start. Another thing I really love to do is to just write, get up and write about my ideal day or my ideal life. And that's an opportunity. We give our imaginations so many opportunities to provide us with our worst case scenarios. And I feel like a journal and writing about your ideal day is an opportunity to give your imagination a really great workout. Mm, absolutely. And that's, that's one of my you know, favorite practices that I do with clients in coaching. And one of the things I often explain is that it, you don't have to know how. Sometimes we get stuck in terms of thinking what would be ideal in our life, what an ideal day would look like or what an ideal week would look like. And Sometimes we get stuck because that might be so different from where we're at now and you don't have to know how that would come about. And sometimes we, we say, oh, well, our ideal day is just, just the things that we think are possible soon. And actually that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is exactly what you say, to give your imagination free reign of the best case scenario and to take out any expectation that you have to know how to get there. It's just 
what you would like. <laughs> yeah, how, how great would it be to wake up? You know, when I first started thinking about doing that week with David White, it started as part of one of those, my ideal holiday what I like to do for my ideal holiday and that was probably a couple of years ago and it just sort of sits and sits and then a couple of years down the track you think wow I'm actually doing this but it wasn't like it was forced with a whole lot of goals that had to come out of my ideal day it was just something to have fun with yeah Oh, I really like that. So I think that's a beautiful place to wrap up too. We, we've got to have fun with this and we need to keep it simple and we need to give ourselves permission to not be good, just to do it. And it doesn't have to be good. You know, it can just be for us and it can be whatever we needed in that moment. It doesn't have to be complicated. Thank you so much, Beth. My pleasure. That was great. I loved talking about that with you. Mm, can you tell people where to find you? Because I'm sure that there will be people listening who are thinking, oh my goodness, we need to get Beth into our school or I need to go and do one of her courses. Please let us know where we can find you. Well, on um, Instagram, it's right away with me. So I hang out a little bit there, perhaps I'll make a bit of an effort to do that a bit more. Um, right Away With Me does have a Facebook page and a website. So if you were to look up Right Away With Me, you would definitely connect with me. Great. And we'll put all the links in the show notes, uh, including the wonderful resources that you've mentioned today and, and some of those others that you're going to send through for people as resources in their, in their writing practice journey. Yes, I'd love that. I'll, I'll definitely add some poetry books and even some journaling books and some of my favourite authors who write about journaling that I think would be helpful for teachers. That would be wonderful. And, and also your favourite pen because I have a favourite. I've got it right now. It's a Uniball Insight 0.7 and I really like the purple and the pink ones. So those are my – I mean, we all have to have the right pen to write with, I think. So it's very important that we – also share our favourite pens. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I have all. I might do a little Instagram about that. That's true. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Beth. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care. <laughs>